0: Well, if you have been with us at all this year, you know that we have a theme for 2023, Why Does It Matter? And we are exploring various aspects of that topic, of that particular question as we make our way through this year. For the spring of this year, our theme is family. Why does it matter? And all of us in this room live in a certain family dynamic. We have these layers of complex relationships that are our family. And so we're all familiar with it. And so we're learning together more about family. Today I want us to talk a little more specifically about parenting. And I've entitled this message, Parents, You Must Parent. Because that's our job parents The text is a very familiar one, Deuteronomy 6. So if you've got your copy of the Old Testament, I invite you to look at it with me, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6. It opens with a general statement about the commands of God and how Israel responds to them. And then you come to this very famous passage and instructions, admonitions for the people of God, for parents as well. So let's look at this text. Deuteronomy 6, we'll get in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you're incre- you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Thank you. Powerful passage. So let me talk to you about parenting. Here's what I'd say. Parenting is, well, rewarding, challenging, fulfilling, depleting, Fun, hard, hopeful, disappointing, and necessary. It's our job as parents. You know, um, we have used some TV families to illustrate some of the things we've been trying to address here on Sunday morning. So today, I want us to look at a particular episode from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And uh, Helena Andrews Dyer wrote an article a couple years ago about that particular TV show. It's been over 30 years since the premiere of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, this classic 1990s sitcom. Are y'all familiar with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yes. Okay. It is what transformed this young, broke rapper named Will Smith into this blockbuster movie star. In uh, the article, Helena Andrews-Dyer says it was a grittier version of the Cosby Show. And according to her, it juxtaposed the hip-hop culture with black upper-class ethos and tackled all kinds of topics, racism, sexism, those kinds of things. And it was a hit. So what millennial doesn't jump to finish the theme song's lyrics when they're prompted by in West Philadelphia, born and raised? I mean, I know, I know, I got it, I got it. Trust me, I know, okay, I got it. But there's one episode, and those of you that watch the show will be familiar with this, some of you may not be, that stands head and shoulders above all the episodes. It, uh, it is Fresh Prince's most iconic hour, half hour. In fact, TV critics say this is the moment in this particular episode when Will Smith was transformed from this young kind of goofy man into this blockbuster movie star. And so it's when he really, according to TV critics, became an actor. The episode's entitled, Papa's Got a Brand New Excuse. And it was a watershed 23 minutes for this particular comedy. Actually, up until this point, they hadn't fully explored the emotional depths of Will Smith's character. They haven't allowed him to express what had taken place. But this is a very famous episode. Y'all know that Will is living with his aunt and uncle because his father abandoned the family. Y'all remember the, the context of the show And so you don't hear much about the dad necessarily. About the fourth season in, the writers decided to write an episode and bring Will's dad into the show itself. Ben Vereen, very famous uh, actor, plays Will's father. And he's going to show up unexpectedly after being absent for 14 years in Will's life. And it's a very fascinating episode. So... We're gonna show you a couple of steals from this scene, and let me just kind of walk you through it. So, Will's father shows up, and he's promising to take Will on a trip. In this first scene, here he is with Uncle Phil. Will's dad's on the right, Uncle Phil's on the left, and Will's dad is promising to take Will on a trip, hadn't been with him in 14 years, and now he's decided he's not gonna do it. And Will has gotten all built up, Will has bought a present for his dad, he's packed, he's ready to go, but the dad tells Uncle Phil not taking him, Tell Will for me that I had to leave. Uncle Phil challenges Will's dad to be a man. And he says, do your own talking. This next um, slide, here's Will's dad telling him, we're not going on the trip after all. Okay, so he breaks the news to him. That scene ends when Will refers to his dad as Lou. Not dad. Dad. And you can see the official separation between this boy and his father. Well, the next slide will show you. Will is brushing it off. No big deal. He's explaining to Uncle Phil, I'm happy. My life's good. I've had 14 great birthdays without him. I don't need him, especially what he says. But then the anger begins to creep out of Will. This next scene, you see Will, he's shouting into the emptiness. His dad's gone. And he basically screams into nothingness, who needs you anyway, is basically what is said. He turns back to Uncle Phil, and then he just keeps brushing it off. He says, I'm gonna get on with my life. I'm gonna have a family. I'm going to do whatever I wanna do. I'll have my own kids. I don't need him to teach me to be a dad. And then finally, Will breaks down. And the emotion all of a sudden ushers forth. As I said for Will Smith as an actor, This was some say his finest hour as an actor, but it was portraying some really deep emotion that the writer who wrote this segment had experienced some of this himself. So Will finally lets his guard down. The hurt begins to show through the anger. And then finally in one of the most famous um, scenes uh, in TV history is this incredible closing hug between Uncle Phil and Will. Let me show that to you. How come you don't want me, man? <laughs> the scene ends with the image of this gift that Will had bought for his dad and it would go ungiven you know let's just say this this is a powerful emotional scene and it may bring all kinds of emotions to the surface for you because here's what's unfortunate about it it wasn't just a gripping scene in a TV show it was that But unfortunately, this right here has been played out in way too many homes across America. There are way, way yonder too many unparented children. And it's an epidemic. And so what I'd like for us to do today is just think together about parenting, how important it is, and how badly we need it. I've already said parenting is hard. It's just, and if you don't know it, you hadn't done it. But if you've done it, you know, don't you? Uh, Jim Gaffigan, he said one time, I don't know what's more exhausting about parenting, the getting up early or acting like you know what you're doing. <laughs> I promise you, I can identify with that parenting sometimes. You know, you, you exude with confidence sometimes. You know, you do some things as a parent and you just want to take, you know, take a few victory laps around the house and wave at the neighbors and just go, here it is, exhibit A. I got it going on. Usually when that happens, you have no idea what's going on. Um, years ago, I clipped this little cartoon and it is this lady. She's at a party. She's dressed for the party and she has a a little saucer in her hand with a teacup and she's got the teacup held just so between her thumb and her forefinger and her little pinkies in the air and she's just exuding in confidence. Meanwhile, her slip is down on the floor around her ankles and the tagline says something like this, confidence is what you have when you do not understand the situation. (laughs) Parents, that'd be us. You know, there are times... When we take confidence steps, there are times when we honestly have no idea what we're doing. And so I'll just let all of you teenagers know that is how it is. Just like you have no idea what you're doing as a teenager, sometimes we have no idea what we're doing. But I'm going to say this to you. If you're in this room right now, and you're, or you're hearing my voice right now, and you've got a, a mom and a dad, a mom or a dad, or both a mom and dad, or a set of grandparents or an aunt and uncle who cares enough about you to actually speak into your life and try to guide you and love you, then you know what you need to do right now? You need to stop and thank God because there are way too many kids in our society that have nobody, and they're just winging it. And I'm gonna tell you right now, that's a recipe for disaster. And so parents, I know Man, <laughs> we, we we make mistakes. Uh, there, there's a this really happened. Beaverton, o- Oregon, January a year, a year ago. A mom went to one of these little Quick Mart grocery stores, and she decided her child was in the back in a car seat, and she thought I just I just need to get a gallon of milk and bread. It just ain't worth the effort to get the kid out of the car. So she said to her kid, "I'm gonna leave you in the car." She leaves the car running. She runs in the store. A car thief walks up, sees the car running, jumps in the car, steals the car. The mom comes out of this true story. The police tell the story. Comes out of the store. Her car's gone. She panics. She's standing there about to call 911. All of a sudden, her car comes screeching back in front of her. The thief jumps out of the car and says, get your kid out of this car. Is this your car? Yeah, get your kid out of this car. She goes to get the kid He says, I'm about to call the police on you for being a neglectful parent. Now, get out of my way because I'm stealing your car. Steals the car, threatening to call the police on her. It's a true story. I mean... (laughs) I'm just telling you, parenting is challenging. Even car thieves are experts on it. Um, You know, you get these kids, you bring them home from the hospital, you don't know what you're doing. Jim Gaffigan says there are two philosophies when it comes to getting young children to sleep. There is sleep training, which basically involves putting your kids to bed and listening to them scream all night. Or there's attachment parenting, which essentially involves lying down with your kids, cuddling them, and then listening to them scream all night. So, (laughs) it's just how it is. Um, LeMasters and Dufresne published this book called The Myths About Parenting. People have misunderstandings about parenting. They list five myths. One, child rearing is fun. (laughs) Number two, children are sweet and cute. Number three, children will improve your marriage. <laughs> now, if you don't know that's a myth, then you just just wait. Um, here's another myth: single parents are unhealthy. That's just not true. There are a lot of really healthy single parents. Here's my favorite myth: parenting ends when the last child leaves home. <laughs> 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 Yee, yeah, buddy, yeah. <laughs> if you know, you know. If you don't, stay tuned is what I'd say. <laughs> but the Bible, the Bible does offer us guidance when it comes to parenting, as hard as it is. You know, sometimes the Bible's descriptive. It'll, it'll, it'll tell you stories, and you just watch. You're paying attention. The Old Testament's full of that. A lot of stories. The New Testament can get very prescriptive. The New Testament sometimes can say, do this. Well, occasionally the Old Testament does that. Today's text, Deuteronomy 6, if you still got your Bible open, I want to look at it. It's one of those prescriptive texts. Challenging us, giving us counsel and admonition. And when you read Deuteronomy 6, there's a challenge from God. There's a command from God. There's an admonition from God to Israel, to God's people, that addresses the fundamental relationship between God and his people. And then... There are instructions about how to live that out in the home. Now, this passage of Scripture, if you start in verse 4, it's famously known as the Shema. The Shema expresses the core of Israel's faith. Now, here's why it's called the Shema. If you look at verse 4, the English word hear translates the Hebrew word Shema. Shema ha-Israel. Hear, O Israel. Listen, Israel. Okay? Every Orthodox Jew recites these two verses, verses four and five, twice a day in their daily prayer regimen. So every Jew is familiar with these Shema. They will say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. And then they will recite the command, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. And all your strength. It's a very famous passage. Jesus will even refer to it. Remember, somebody's gonna ask Jesus, what's the the best law? He's gonna say, just right, love the Lord your God. It is fascinating the wording of it. Love the Lord your God with your heart. It's the the command of God. Your heart. Now, to the Hebrews, the heart was the seat of, of the will, emotions. You could even say mind there. They're interchangeable at this point. It was was that decision-making part of you. Love the Lord your God with that decision-making part of you. Your soul, what is the soul? The soul, the nephesh is the Hebrew word. It means the person, the the living being, that, that which makes you, you. Love God with yourself. And then this next word is a little bit challenging the, the NIV translates it this way: um, "Love the Lord your God with all your strength." Do you see that? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. When it was translated into Greek, which is called the Septuagint, the translators of the Septuagint chose the word "do not miss," which is the Greek word for power, to translate this word. And so that's influenced how we translate that word even today in English: strength. But it's a it's a it's a word that just means exceedingly, greatly. Um, with everything you have, with, with all of your resources. So in other words, what's happening here, God is calling on Israel to love him with their heart, their mind, their will, love him with their, their total being, and love him with everything they have, all their resources. So it's a powerful, core statement of Israel's faith. okay. Daniel Block has written a wonderful commentary on Deuteronomy. Let me read to you a quote from what he says. He says, calling all Israelites to love God without reservation or qualification, Moses begins with the inner being, that's the heart. Then he moves to the whole person. And he ends with all that one claims is one's own. This is the yoke of the kingdom, covenant commitment rooted in the heart, but extending to every level of one's being. So here's here's how I would put it. The call to love God, it begins with each person. It then extends to the family, then to your public behavior, and then finally to public declaration. So if you, if you look at this text, um, notice, notice what he says. Look at verse um, seven. Press them on your children, family. Eight, tie them as symbols on your hands. In other words, when you go to work, when you, when you put your hands to the plow, whatever you do, even on your foreheads, keep it right in the front of your mind, even write it on your home, in other words. And so, the call to love God, it moves beyond the individual's personal relationship with God, it starts there. But every aspect of your life is supposed to be affected by the love you have for God. It begins with a deep walk with God yourself. And then it's lived out in the family. Then it's to always be on your mind, always to be in front of you, your hands, in other words, your public behavior, even on your doorposts, in other words, in all public settings, no matter how somebody encounters you, everybody that you meet should know you love God. That's what this text is saying. It just, just walking by your house, they should know you love God. That's what Moses is telling Israel. Everything about you cries it out, I love God. Family knows it. The people I work with know it. People in my neighborhood know it. It's just how I've chosen to live my life. So, this is the fundamental calling of God, calling his people to love him. So, that's where this whole thing starts. Now, with that said, let's talk about parenting because Moses then moves to here's how you live this out as parents. So, here's what I'd say about parenting as Christians. I believe that responsible parenting begins with personal discipleship and allowing God to parent us. As parents, that's where we start. I mean, go back and look at at this text with me. Look at verse 6. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts first. So parents, love God yourself Christian parents. That's where your parenting starts. Do you love God yourself? You have your own personal walk with God, independent of your family. This is between you and God. Here's what I would tell y'all. You need God. If you think that you could be a responsible parent on your own without God's help, you are going to be disappointed in yourself. I'm just going to tell you right now. If you think you got what it takes to be a parent all by yourself in your own strength, then, dude, you are in for a rude awakening because I'm here to tell you right now, you ain't got it. It's too demanding. You, you don't have this just on your own. This is something you've got to grow into. And as Christians, We love God first because we need him. We need his wisdom and his counsel. And how do we learn about that? By letting him parent us. Because our our judgment gets clouded. We're broken people. And we can't help ourselves. We will make mistakes on our own without God's help. We need a partnership with him. So it begins with your own relationship with God. I believe that one of the gifts you give to your children as a parent is to demonstrate to them that you take your own relationship with God seriously and that you're walking with the Lord yourself. You're not perfect, but you're a child of God. Now, let's talk about responsible parenting. Here's what I believe about responsible parenting. I've I've been doing this a long time. I've been a parent for a long time, a grandparent. I've watched parents. I've studied the scripture. This is what I believe. I believe parenting is, in essence, active disciple making. Parents, God has called us to make disciples. That's really what parenting is. And again, it starts with you. This text is a calling, verse seven. It's a calling from God to parents. And I want you to notice what it says. Look at verse seven. Take these teachings about me, take these commandments from me, take this love you have for me, and suggest it to your children and offer them some options. Is that what your version says? What does it say? What does your version say? Impress. That that means um, you you put your thumbprint on something and you make an impression. You know how sometimes you'll press your skin and that it stays in. It's the idea of taking that wax seal and putting your impression on it. In other words, you you take this, this life you have with God, and you impress this on your children. This is more than suggestion. This is guidance. This is care. This is discipline. And it's not easy, but it's our calling. And he doesn't tell us exactly how to do it all the time, but I love the fact that it gives us a context and a structure. Did you notice it? He said, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you do it. Look at verse 7. Talk about it with them. When you sit at home, he says, When you walk along the way, on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, it's in your everyday life. This is what you do. You teach your children in your everyday life. You just walk with them, you live with them, you have conversations with them, and you you figure out the way to do it. You're engaging in everyday life, you're modeling, loving, leading, just in normal life. You know, sometimes I think we want to get so programmatic as Christian parents. You know, we want it to all just be perfect. Sit down and listen to this devotional. <laughs> Goodness. I want you to know that God loves you and so do I. <laughs> so we want this program. Listen, y'all, I want to encourage you. Do it along the way. Yesterday, I was studying for our, I'm working on a sermon series for the summer on eternity. It's it's deep, it's hard. Imminent frame, transcendence. While I'm in my study, I've got a granddaughter in a tent in front of me on a bed needing paper and folders and construction paper and well, there it is. Okay, so I'm reading the thrill of orthodoxy, and this one right here is needing folders and scissors. And so, and you know what? Had it been my own kid, I'd have said, uh-huh, this is my granddaughter. It's like, hold on, I got it. I'll hold on right here. And, because I've learned, this is how you do it. You live your life in the everyday, don't you? And along the way, whatever it is, however you're doing this, it's just your normal life. You know, Some people think I've got this really structured life. I don't, like I said, I got tents in my study, okay? <laughs> this, this is my life, but you know what? I love it because I'm trying to shape a whole nother generation and let them know about the love of God And feel secure in that love. Well, parents, do this along the way, riding in the car. You know, it don't always have to be structured. Sometimes it can be. You know, when when our kids were younger, there were certain things that we tried to implement because we're trying to lead and guide and direct and encourage. But here's what I would tell you. You know what Mr. Rogers said one time? He said, love is at the root of everything. All learning, all parenting, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Love is powerful. Your children need it. One of the ways we express our love, I, I told y'all this a couple of Sundays ago is, is by acceptance. And some, some folks will look confused by that. They say, wait a minute, preacher, we're not supposed to just accept everybody. Yes. We accept people. My kids, you know how many times I've told them, let me tell you something. You know who you are? Mine. I don't care what you do, I don't care where you go, I don't care what you say, I don't care what you think, I don't care whatever happens to you, you're always gonna be mine. You can't be un you're mine. But you know what, that doesn't mean I accept everything they do. I can accept you without accepting everything that you do. But if every one of our core relationships is performance-based, well then all of a sudden we got a really fragile thin line. We, we lose our credibility to even have a conversation. But if they know we accept them, then we're able to intervene and talk about behaviors and things that we're not in favor of, but it doesn't change the fact that as a person, I still accept them. There's a deep connection, even if I disagree with how some people choose to live their lives. Love, acceptance, those are powerful forces in a home. As parents, we give that to our kids. I would say this, based upon this text, I believe this to be true. I think disciple-making parents have learned the value of habitual patterns that reflect the deeply held values that you have. And they exhibit practical expressions that can help shape and form children and then create healthy family systems. Parents are in charge of that. Creating these habits... You know, the evening blessing. Making sure those kids and the craziness of getting them ready for bed (laughs) still hear from you that voice of love and acceptance. Let that be after the 10th glass of water at some point, still let that be resonating in their mind how valuable they are. The morning welcome. The conversation around the table. You know, when, when we were younger and our kids were younger, Cindy was a stickler. You're going to eat. I'm just telling you right now. If you're going to eat, you're going to eat at Cindy Wiles' table. You ain't going to eat in the living room when they were kids. You weren't going to eat in your room. You're know, you going to eat at the table. We're going to sit down and look at each other. My daddy was that way. Cindy was that way. We're gonna, we, we, this is what you do. And um, I can't tell you all how many people through the years have come and sat at our table and said, man, Wish we'd have had one of these in my house when I was growing up. It's important that table conversation, looking at one another. they, they, they do, um, they do this thing where you do like a, um, I've already forgot what you call it, like a rose and a thorn, or I, I forgot how that thing goes. What is it? A rose, a thorn, and a sunflower. You know what was your rose for today? What was your thorn for today? What was your sunflower for the day? Just engaging. You know, it's not rocket science. It's just in the and you know it's messy. You know, it's not all that orderly. And I want to tell you what, you can do it. Come on, y'all. Parents, you can do it. It's hard, but you can do it. You can find fulfillment in it. The church, we just want to be here to help you. We, we, we just want to be a resource to you, okay? So that's what we're trying to do. At our church, we have a young families team. We have a median families team. and We're just trying to help you. Do you know, we have some of you are may, maybe new to our church. Do you know that if you walk right through these doors am my right, to your left, right around the corner, do y'all know there's something there that looks like a house? Have you' all ever seen it? If you've never been in it, you need to go in it. Because what's in there? That's our home life center. It's one of the ways that we tangibly partner with families of all ages, all life centers. Do you know parents, grandparents, in that little home there, right outside these doors, There are resources for you to share with your children, with your grandchildren. Insights, tips into how to have spiritual conversations at every stage of a child's life. Invaluable resources. Our young families team, they, they've, been, they've created this thing called the Talk Box. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They, they put information in these little boxes and you take them home with you and you, you sit them at your table and, or in your car, or wherever it is. And they have little add ons, you know, depending upon the season of the year. And it's just, it's just material for you, online resources to help you. Have conversations. Enter into deeper relationships with your children, as young as they may be. These conversations are valuable. Helping them to learn they can talk to you. We offer resources like the Confident Parenting Seminar, May the 7th. I'd encourage you to go to it. It's for parents. It's for grandparents. It's for anybody that wants to know. We'll, we'll have dinner. We'll have child care from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock on May the 7th. They're going to talk about things like finding replenishment for overcrowded lives, overcoming negative family patterns, how to have a grace-filled home. It's, it's conversation, training for parents, for grandparents. We have young families nights. We have family movie nights. We have faith at home this summer. All of that is there and many other things that we're offering you because we want to come alongside you, and we just want to bless you and affirm you, and sometimes we we do our best to work around your life i 've I've come across a book that i 've been reading, and i would I would definitely recommend it to you it 's called Habits of the household um, it 's written by Justin Whitmell early if you hadn 't seen it it 's one of the best books i 've read lately on on parenting it 's written by a lawyer so it's it 's um, a guy who 's just a dad, and he and his wife have got these kids, and they 're living in real life. And uh, it's just a really good word. It's, a, it's, a, it's a not a very thick book. It's not written by some theologian. It's a, a dad, and it's, I love the way the guy writes. He talks about how I'm writing this chapter right now, and there's food on the counter, the kids are fighting. I probably ought to go pay attention to it, but I really need to finish this chapter. You know, so I'm in a real world. He's "I hope you get this book, and it's dog-eared, and you stick it in a diaper bag, and it gets thrown up on, and all that, because that's the world I live in." Well, it's a real practical book. In fact. We've got a group of dads right now. They're called, dude, let's see, dudes that are dads. Is that what it's called? Dudes that are dads? Or something like that. On Thursday nights, nine o'clock on Zoom, Luke Stair leads it, using this book. Working around dad's schedules, got the kids to bed, can have a conversation. Let me give you a quote from that book. Here's what he says. In suggesting that we reconsider our habits of the household, I'm suggesting that we reclaim the idea of creating a rule of life in our families, So we can produce something other than the typical anxiety-ridden, depression-prone, lonely, confused, and screen-addicted teenager. So we can form children in God's love. So we can teach them the peace that comes with knowing the unconditional love of Jesus. So we can create homes that are missional lights in a dark world. If there's ever been a time when we needed that, surely, surely this is that time. Missional, lights, homes. I think he calls homes schools of love. (laughs) Where you you go to school to learn how to love and be loved. It's powerful. I would just say this to all of us. Regardless of where you are in your setting right now, just as a church. I want to ask you today, let's commit ourselves just as a church to pray for, to encourage, to bless, to surround as best we know how our parents and encourage them to just do the best they know with God's help and let's walk alongside them. Let's love our children in our church. Let's care for them. Let's let them know you're important, you're valuable and you mean so much to us. Let's be the church that blesses regardless of our setting and that stands in the gap when we need to and support our parents. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you today knowing that we can call you Father. In fact, that's the image we get in your word and we want to thank you for that. I want to thank you, Lord, for the fact that you love us that way. And that your love is powerful, deep, and rich, and meaningful. And that we are blessed by that love. It's healthy. It's redemptive. It's hopeful. And Lord, as we're loved, as your children, I pray that you'll help us in turn love as well. We pray for our parents, our grandparents in our church. Lord, as as we all try to live into the role you've assigned us, we need your help. We need your grace, your wisdom. We pray you'll give it to us. And may we as a church support our parents, bless them, love them, and encourage them and resource them as best we can. And we pray we'll do that in a way that'll honor you and will be a great blessing to the children of our church. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.